nothing. You got look so much better than a camera. I mean, this is just such a joy <laughs> to see so many of you this morning and to hear you uh, and to respond. So this is great. I also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online today. We're glad that uh, you decided to join us this morning. I think um, a verse that describes accurately this past six months, and then particularly today, is Psalm 40, verse 1. Here's what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. So we've been crying out to God for help in many ways over these past six months, and many of us have been praying for this day to occur. And I'll, honestly, some of the waiting and the praying have been of the patient variety, and some have been of the not-so-patient variety. But God has heard our cries, and today is a sweet reunion for us. So as we get started in the message, I wanted to pause and just thank God for his protection, his help, and for this day. So join me again in prayer. Father, over these past six months, we have learned again that so much of what we take for granted has always been a daily gift from your hand. And we thank you for your protection. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the mercy and grace and forgiveness offered through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the tremendous privilege of meeting again today. We purpose to not take these things for granted, so we pause and we thank you. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Verse 2 of Psalm 40 says this, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now, I've heard 2020 described in a lot of different ways, but I think slimy pit is a pretty accurate description of what we've experienced so far this year. It really has been like kind of walking through the mud and the mire and the slime. I mean, the moment you think you've got some traction, the moment you think you've found a footing, well, things just change. And you slip, and once again, you're trying to walk through mud. Now, what this verse says that God offers in the middle of the slimy pit, in the middle of the mud and the mire, is to set our feet on the rock. And that, that's him. That's God. Only God's presence, only God's guidance, only his help can give us the firm footing that we need to stand in this slime and gain traction. Now, the rock of God's presence is not above us, it's below us. In other words, it's not something that through tremendous moral effort, we ascend and climb like a cliff, and we pull ourselves up, and now finally we can stand on the rock. No, the rock is below us, and in order to get firm on that rock, what we need to do is kneel and humble ourselves. What we really need to do is surrender. That's how we get on the firm rock, and so I wanted our first move as we begin to regather now on Sundays to be one of collective surrender. And that's what we're going to be doing the next four weeks. It's just getting our hearts around what it looks like for us personally and collectively as a church to once again get on our knees before God and say, God, our life is yours. Our future is yours. Our plans are yours. And we are your servants. 
Webster defines surrender this way, to yield to the power and control of another. We've obviously discovered this year how little control we really have. We had a sense of it, but we've learned a lot more this year about that. And it's God's invitation for us to surrender to his power and his control. Now, this is not something we do just once. Just the way our hearts are, we always take back control. We always would prefer to rely on our own power. So this is something we have to do every day, this, this surrender thing. And that's why Jesus described the decision to surrender this way. Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this, Then he said to them all, his disciples, if anyone would come after me. So he's talking to his disciples, but he extends it to anyone in the future, you and me, who've decided to follow Jesus. What he must do, what they must do is deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, when Jesus first said these words, no one knew exactly what he meant. I mean, they definitely knew what a cross was. It was the worst form of execution of the day. But they had no idea how you would take one up every day because the only people taking up a cross that they had seen were the ones carrying their cross like Jesus did on the way to their death. And so the next day they couldn't take up the cross because they were no longer alive. And it wasn't until after Jesus took up that cross, carried it to his own death, and then rose again that this statement began to make a little more sense. You see, for Jesus, death wasn't just a singular act of surrender to the will of his Father. It was the final act of a life of surrender to the will of his Father. And in the week, the one week leading up to the death of Jesus, Jesus gave four very clear and vivid pictures of what surrender looks like, of what it looks like to take up your cross every day and follow him. So what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at one scene per week. And to help us understand and remember these four scenes of surrender, these four acts of surrender, we're going to use a physical posture that represents each particular act of surrender. And these are the four. Number one, what we're going to talk about this week is bowed head. Number two is closed eyes. Number three is open hands. And number four is on our knees. And I'm going to invite all of us as a church every day as we work through these, to add each one to our daily beginning, our daily pattern of the day. So we begin today with bowed head. That's the first act of surrender we're going to look at today, to bow your head. Now, each one of these four postures represents and points to something specific that we need to surrender to God. And each of these four words start with the same letter, W. And so the W word for this posture today is will. When we bow our head, what we're saying is we are surrendering or submitting our will to the will of God. Now, we've all used our heads in this way to indicate that we're submitting our will to the will of another. You know, let's say someone is walking towards a door and you're walking towards the same door. You kind of estimate the arrival time and realize we're going to arrive at the door at the same time. So what you often do at that point is once you catch the eye of the other person, you slightly nod your head. And without saying any words at all, both you and the person you've caught eye contact with knows what you've just done. You have surrendered your will to theirs, just with that simple bow of the head. What you're saying is, you go ahead. Let, let me put your will, in this case, going through that door, ahead of my will going through the same door. That's just a simple little gesture, but it, it basically means, you go ahead. Your will be done. I'll, I'll, I'll go after I'll submit my will to your will. 
Now, for Jesus Christ, the cross was that kind of decision. It was a surrender of his will decision. I mean, any thinking person wouldn't want to die on a cross. Many men before him who died on that cross were victims of injustice, but that was not why Jesus was on that cross. He was not a victim. He knew exactly what was coming, and he had the power to not go to that cross. At supper the night before, what's now called the Lord's Supper, Jesus actually declared, he pointed out the individuals who would betray him, his disciples, and in one case, exactly how many times and before what time, in the case of Peter. And at the beginning of the meal, he broke bread, and he basically said, hey, everyone, I want you to know that by about this time tomorrow, this is going to kind of look what my body's going to look like after all the beatings and the whippings and the nailing on the cross. He knew what was coming. Vividly, he knew. And then at the end of the meal, he, he poured out some wine, and he said something similar. He said to the bread, and he said, you know, this, this is going to be kind of what, what's going to happen tomorrow with my blood. It's going to be poured out for you. So the cross was not a surprise to Jesus. And like anyone facing such an awful death, he didn't want to do it. So he went to the Garden of Gethsemane after that supper on that night, the night of his arrest, before the arrest, and he wrestled with a decision to surrender to the will of his Father. Here's what we read in Matthew 26, verse 39. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground. Notice what's the position of his head and his face? It's down. And there, in that position, that posture, he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Of course, he knew that it was not possible. This had been a long-standing plan. And so he says, Yet not as I will, but as you will. He surrendered to the will of his Father. He settled it then and there. Now, why didn't Jesus look up into heaven and say those words? Well, it's because face down is the best posture to fit those words, the words of surrender. So now, 2,000 years later, we follow our Lord's example. We lower our head and we say, Father, we do this every day. Father, not as I will today, but as you will. I don't have a clear view of the, fa the future, Father. We, we definitely don't have a clear view of the future. But you do. So I surrender my will to yours. So let me just pause and ask us all this. How, how have we done in the past six months in the bowing department? I mean, I'll, I'll just speak for myself. I've had some good days in that area when I have bowed and I've surrendered my canceled plans and my unknown future and everyone's unknown future to God. And then I've had some not-so-good days when I have grumbled against God and I have vented my anger to, well, pretty much anyone who will put up with me and listen to it. So what has marked the difference between the good days of surrender and the bad, day, bad days of bowing my neck and grumbling against God? Well, the size of the disappointment obviously has had a factor. Some of the news has been really hard to take, and those have been tougher days. But more than just the size of the disappointment, what's made a difference for me and can make a difference for you is something that Jesus pointed to in the verses right after he bowed and surrendered to his Father. Here's the next verses. This is what we read in verse 40 and 41 of Matthew 26. So the verse before, Jesus had just said, 
not as I will, Father, but as you will. He bowed his head and said that in the garden. And then we read this in verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Watch and pray, Jesus said. It is the ongoing practice of watching and praying that increases our ability to really surrender. You see, just a few hours before this, the disciples had had their moment of stated surrender. At the supper, when Jesus warned them of all the dangers that awaited them if they continued to follow him and that they would, would betray him and turn away from him, they insisted they never would. Despite his warnings, they had surrendered their will in that moment to the uncertain future, and they declared that they would be willing to die if necessary to follow Jesus. So what happened? Well, if you know the story, you know the soldiers arrived in just a few moments after this, these verses, and they all ran away. The only one that returned was Peter, and it turned out so that he could emphatically deny Jesus three times. So none of them made good on their surrender decision. Why? Well, Jesus said, it's because the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And that's not something that is unique to the group of disciples. That, that is a human condition. Our spirit is willing, but where we get in trouble is we're weak. Our body is weak. What that means is our moral intentions are always higher than our actions. We always want to do more than we can. We always want to be better than we actually are. And so if we're going to change, it's not going to be, be come because we just really, really, really want to be better. It's because our body gets involved. Not just once, but on a daily basis. So surrender is really a decision that we make in our spirits, and then we have to carry out every day in our bodies. This means that surrender is not just a moment-in-time decision. It is a day-by-day -day lifestyle decision. So that's why Jesus took his three disciples out and said, look, you guys are going to need to know this. Let me, I, I heard your intention to surrender. Let me make it clear to you how you're actually going to make good on that. Let me invite you to the lifestyle of surrender, characterized by two words, watch and pray. If you want to surrender, if you want to grow, these two words are key, watch and pray. So let's look at these briefly. Watch. If you're going to watch, you're going to have to pick a when and a where to watch. You have to pick a time and a place, a when and a where. Jesus hadn't just asked his disciples to keep their eyes open that night. He wasn't just saying, hey, guys, look out. He had used a military term. He was asking them to stand watch. So to stand watch means to take an assigned position at a particular location at a particular time to look out for possible danger. And Jesus told them to do this, to watch, not just because he was looking for you know, someone to guard over him. He was you know, wanting them to watch out for the soldiers coming. That really was not the point of it because Jesus had already planned to surrender without incident, so he didn't need someone standing guard so that they could mount some kind of force response when the soldiers arrived. Jesus was already going to surrender. Now, Jesus knew it was the disciples that needed guarding, and what needed guarding was their hearts. They had no idea what was coming, and their hearts were not ready to make good on their commitment to follow Jesus, no matter what. Now, in the military, 
A watch is a specific block of time in a 24-hour day that's dedicated to staying awake, standing guard, looking for danger. Now, you can't watch every minute of every day. That's impossible. You have to sleep. There's work that needs to be done. In fact, watching seems like a tremendous waste of time. I mean, nothing's happening. It's all quiet. You're just watching until, of course, the moment of danger. Then you're really glad that a watch had been posted. Now, the position for watching normally is heads up, eyes open. You know, head down, eyes closed, that's not watching position. That, that's for sleeping, and that's what the disciples did. But in the spiritual realm, it's reversed. It's head down and eyes closed, as we're going to talk about a little more next week. We bow our heads in surrender to God in order to see better, to see the future better. That's how we watch in the spiritual realm. We bow our heads to read God's word and to gain some insight into the unseen battles that are raging around us. We bow our head to ponder the specific temptations that are embedded in the day that we're about to face, as well as the opportunities to do God's will and do good in this day. We, we can't look out and see those with our eyes. We, we need to bow our heads in order to begin to see those emerge out of the fog of the unseen spiritual realm. And then we bow our heads and surrender to God's ways and God's plan over the next 24 hours. That's what it means to watch. Now, we, we can't do this every moment of every day because, well, there's work to be done. We've got to sleep some. But we can do this for a few moments every day. So, if you're not doing this, I would encourage you to pick a time to bow your head and stand guard over your heart. Now, I think the best watch of the day is what the military calls the first watch. That's the crack of dawn. Now, I, I don't like getting up earlier than I have to. Never have. But I love getting up at the crack of dawn to bow before God because it gives me such perspective on the day. It frames my day. Now, for me, probably like you, almost every part of my daily life has changed during COVID, but not this. This didn't change. Most days, I woke up, got my coffee, bowed my head then, and took my post and stood guard over my soul. And those times were life to me. Now, it didn't keep me from every struggle, but without those times, without those daily watch times, the carnage on my soul and my life and my marriage would have been extensive. Jesus told his disciples to watch because he knew something big was about to happen. You know, Roman soldiers were on the way. And he tells us to watch for the same reason, not because Roman soldiers are on the way, because something big's around the corner. And if we don't watch, we're not going to be ready for it. See, what watching does is it helps you build spiritual muscle to support you when the big gorilla comes rumbling around the corner of the time. You know, COVID, let's be honest, was a 800-pound gorilla that landed on all of us. You know, no one really saw it coming the way it did. And so it ended up being pretty much a massive stress test that revealed whether or not we've been watching, whether or not we have 
spiritual muscles and strengths and resources from God to help us with something as bizarre as this. So one of the questions that we have to ask of all of us is how do we do with the COVID stress test? This is just for you to ask personally of yourself. Now, the purpose of a stress test is not to make you feel really bad. So if you didn't do that well, don't just wallow in guilt. The purpose of a stress test is so that you can address what needs to be done. So what can you do to post a better watch over your soul as we move forward? So that's watch. The second word Jesus said was pray. So watch is you got to pick a when and a where, time and a place. When are you going to do this? What time of day? Where, where are you going to do it? A when and a where. Pray adds to that and says you also need to pick a what and a who. A what and a who. In other words, not just to stand watch, but you're going to have to ask, what am I going to pray? And occasionally, who am I going to pray with? This is what Jesus modeled for his disciples. On the eve of that great day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was God in flesh, was about to face the weight of the cross. And it wasn't just the physical torture of the cross, it was the weight of all of the sin of the world that landed on the soul of Jesus Christ, on, on him. And there will never be anyone with more spiritual power, stronger spiritual muscles than Jesus Christ. And yet on that night, he paused to cry out to the Father for help. This was his pattern. So if Jesus needs help from his Father, we really need help. We're not near as strong as him. So on that, that evening, Jesus took three of his disciples with him to pray. This was their last chance to physically see with their own eyes the importance of prayer. They'd seen Jesus go off early in the morning before. They'd asked him to teach them about prayer, but this was the last chance for Jesus to give them the key elements of how to pray. So if you're going to pray, it starts by standing watch, you know, this picking of a when and a where. So Jesus, that's why Jesus took his disciples to a specific place. They went to Gethsemane. He didn't just say, hey, you know, we're already here, Lord's Supper. Let's just tag a little prayer on the end of it. That would have been fine, but Jesus wanted to make the point that if you're going to be consistent with prayer, you've got to pick a place and you've got to pick a time. So, guys, let's three of us, let's go do that now. I want, I want you to understand the importance of this. But just because you have a one and a where, in this case, Gethsemane, a Gethsemane, a Gethsemane doesn't mean you're going to focus, and that's what the disciples did not do. They fell asleep. So they arrived at the one and the where, and then they fell asleep. And this is what's going to happen if you stand watch over your soul. You're going to pick a time, you're going to pick a place, you're going to get your coffee, and you're going to sit there, and you're going to start drifting, and your mind's going to start going everywhere, unless, unless you have a clear what and occasionally a who. You need a plan that includes a what and a who. So Jesus gave them a what to pray. And this is important because, you know, prayer is obviously not an audible back and forth kind of conversation. I mean, it is a back and forth where God through his spirit can give us thoughts and, and give us impressions that we can get better over time at hearing and getting a sense of what he might be telling us to do, but it's not audible. So what that means is God will not carry the conversation in prayer. It's not like a human conversation. 
So what that means is you're going to have to come up with what to say to God. Now, if you're like most people, well, if you're like me, you're going to run out of words in about 30 seconds. Because you start talking, and it's like, uh, what should I say now? I don't, you know, we're not used to just not having anyone talk back. So Jesus told them to pray that they would not fall into temptation. That's the specific thing Jesus said. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that you will not fall into temptation. Well, that's a great thing to pray. That's a great thing that every morning, I mean, it's just look ahead of your day, and you probably have a sense, you know what, this is going to be a temptation for me. And I'm meeting with this person, and I always struggle with this when I meet with this person, so I'm going to have to pray about that. And then I'm going to be doing this, and we kind of know what our temptations are going to be. So make a list of the temptations for the day and ask for God's help specifically for those. You know, the Bible is full of all kinds of things to pray. This is why it's important during the watch time to not just only pray but also read God's Word. You know, one of the things in Philippians 4, for example, we're told to turn our anxiety into prayer. That's a great suggestion. I do that almost every day. In my time of prayer, I'll just say, what am I anxious about? And that's usually like three to five things I'm anxious about. What are they? Now, I just work my way through them and pray and ask God for help with those. Another thing I do is I pray through what I've just read in the Bible. Just pray through that. So, that's what. But a good prayer plan also has a who. The question is, who are you going to pray with? Now, clearly, you don't need other people in order to pray. You can just pray all by yourself. And a lot of times, that's what you'll do when you watch. But if you never pray with anyone else or any other group of people, you're missing out on one of the biggest benefits of prayer, and that is listening to the faith of other people. All by yourself, you can begin to wonder if you're kind of going crazy because it's just you and your thoughts. But with others, your faith is strengthened. This is why Jesus didn't just go off on his own that night to pray. He took his, three of his disciples with him, and the point was clear. He, what he was saying to them and to all of us is, don't just do this all by yourself. Pray with other people. This is one of the reasons why our growth groups over time have been so helpful. Because not only is there discussion around what's been said on the Sunday before and how to apply God's word to our life, that's really important, but there's always a time of prayer. You're not standing watch alone. So if you've not been a part of a growth group before and you're a little nervous about what you're going to say, well, just go to a growth group. Don't feel any pressure to say anything, but just go to listen to people pray. That'll be so helpful for you just to hear other people pray about their lives and ask for prayer about your life. So as Elliot said, I would encourage you to sign up if you haven't already for one of those this fall. Now, 40 days after this scene in Gethsemane, after Peter and the disciples couldn't stay awake and pray for just a brief moment, Jesus ascends to heaven. So he's died on the cross. Three days later, rose from the dead. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. Now, his last instructions to them and to all of his disciples were to just wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to arrive and his power and help. So while they were waiting, what did they do? This has always interested me. This is, the, this is what it says they were doing in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, they all joined together constantly in what? In prayer. You get the impression they really learned their lesson that night. 
So what's coming around the corner for us personally? Well, let's just admit the truth and once again say the top three words of 2020. And they are, we don't know. I hear those all the time. That and the word unprecedented. We don't know. We don't know what's coming. But we do know the God who is already around the corner of time. So as we project our will into the future and make our plans, which is fine to do, let's pause to bow first and often and ask God to guide us. And to keep us from just kind of going off and doing our own thing, let's do what Jesus did, and let's, let's ask a few other people that we know to watch with us and pray with us. Now, as I look around the corner of the future for us as a church, I think, I think it's going to be a lot of our friends, a lot of our neighbors that we are meeting and having conversations with now more than ever before are going to be visiting Seabreeze in 2021. What that means is we're going to need many of you to be in alert mode as we gather on Sundays, looking for the chance to talk with someone new or maybe help someone figure out what a next step could be for them at Seabreeze as they try to get oriented here or to be on watch mode and invest in a neighbor's life and invite them to Seabreeze. So let's now really be building up our spiritual muscles by bowing every day so that we can be ready for this future. Let's start every day this week with our heads bowed. Pick a when and a where to bow. And then decide, I would ask you also to decide not only what you're going to pray this week, but at least once, who might you pray with this week? Maybe just another person, maybe a couple other people. But who are you going to pray with this week? So let's begin this practice again this week. Join me. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we start this new week full of things that we've got on our calendar, things that we've got planned, and then a whole bunch of stuff that you know is coming and we have no idea. And as we begin this week, we gather in your name, both here in presence, in, in physical presence and online, and we, we declare what our Lord and Savior declared. Father, we say, not as we will, but as you will. When our plans begin to unravel, we will look in faith to what your plans might be in the middle of this. And we will surrender to you. We start this week by surrendering, and we choose every day to once again take this posture to bow our heads before you and say, not your will today, but, or not our will, but what your will is today. We ask for helping doing this. We pray for our protection as we continue to gather. Father, we just pray as we move into the fall and in the new year that you would grant a tremendous amount of harvest. The world is always in a death spiral. It always is going down. But in these last six months, the angle of descent has been increasing rapidly. And we pray that as the answers this world gives become, becomes more and more apparently bankrupt, that your answers would shine bright and you would give us the courage to have the conversations to point to you as the only hope that this world has. We again, we thank you for this great privilege today. And we bow before you and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.